to provide you with a genuine hate object. That's right. Here I am. So let's hear it. Come on. Look at this. This was a, an understanding audience. All right, so boo yourself. Boo, boo, boo. Go on back to Jersey. Go on back to the Bronx, all of you. Ah, boo. Ladies and gentlemen out there, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is terrible. Did you hear that mother back there? Boy, that's mother all the way. That angry feminine voice down the chute. Oh, dumb down like that. That's mother through the ages. Ladies and gentlemen out there in the vast unseen radio audience, all I can do is apologize for these terrible people here. This is awful, and we're right here in Greenwich Village where people love each other. <laughs> That's right. This is where people are sensitive. This is where people have a deep understanding of the human plight. This is the village, and I can only apologize to those of you out there who were offended by this unseemly, this terrible situation which broke out here at the line. For those of you who want, I'm, listen, ladies. I'm sorry. Ah, you see? Doesn't it feel good to let it come out? <laughs> and you thought you were a peace-loving person, didn't you? Another thirty seconds, and old chef would have been up here with nails and everything. You know? Yeah, you know, all yelled and hollered and thrown leaves at me and stuff. Well, and this is Mother's Day. Now, I'm serious. What would your mother think uh, if she saw you tonight? And what is even more thought-provoking is that right here in this audience are several certifiable bona fide mothers. Ah. Uh, well... That's the way evil is, friends. And here we are in the limelight in Greenwich Village. We will be here until midnight. It is now about nine minutes past 11. 
as in just 50 minutes it is Mother's Day. And we are going to honor that great American goddess. Guess who? Yeah, listen to the muttering here. I resent that, and if you want... I would not care to put it to a test if I were you, Charles. Oh, well, you've got to be careful of me. I'm quick on my feet. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, you want to hear about my trip. Well, now, the reason... Oh, now, for, for those of you who wonder why we are so antic tonight, <laughs> our words are loaded with ironic whimsy, it's because I have just returned not more than 48 hours ago from a trip halfway around the globe. One week ago tonight, I was lying in a seamy sack, fetid temperature, 105 degrees, humidity 117% in the heart of Bangkok in Thailand. And I could hear off in the distance the wind tinkling the temple bells ever so gently. And the sound of those great fans moving through the air above me, plowing their way through an endless wall of mosquitoes. And I lay there thinking what a great thing it is to travel. How beautiful travel is. And wishing I'd brought some X-Lax. Well, one week before that, I was in Sydney, Australia. Now, I want to tell you this about Sydney, Australia. For those of you who don't know anything about Australia... And most of us don't. I'll frankly admit I knew very little, even though I read seven books on it before I went. You know, if you can imagine civilization as, as a big mainline railroad track, and all the countries are, are a different train, and they're all roaring along towards God knows what goal. <laughs> you know, we use that term progress. Now, progress means movement. It means to be transported from point A to point B, to point C, to point D, to a recognizable goal. I mean, this is progress. But what is the goal? Well, that's a pretty hard thing to answer. Well, if you can imagine all the nations of the world on this railroad track, some of them are going faster than others. You know, some of them are going on the... Some of them have these fantastic streamlined trains, like America. And they're going hell-bent for election. Boom! Woo! They're barreling along that track. And then there's another one It's trying to make it, and it's trying to wait for me! These are other little countries, you know, like England is trying to make it, see? And you've got a couple of others like France, but they're all on the same railroad track. Now, if you can imagine one country that somehow has gotten off on a siding. It turned left or right. It got off the main track and is now in the roundhouse. That's Australia. <laughs> and they can see those tracks, you know, way off in the distance, 
and they can hear those other trains going, woo, woo, screaming off towards progress. And they're in the roundhouse. And they've been there for maybe 10, 15 years. They're 47 million miles from anywhere. Ever looked at the globe? It, this whole big mesh, and here's the globe, see? And everything is all swinging here. It's all going fistfights and bombs, and everybody's yelling and hollering and rock and roll. It's going on way down here on the bottom, barely hanging on. Is Australia, you know? And once in a great while, they hear from the other side of the world, you know, that something's breaking out. But they hear years after it stopped. So they're hanging down there. Well, now, Australia, I have to explain something else about Australia. I have a, I have a feeling that the, that the physical surroundings that we live in have far more effect on us than we ever admit. We're like a, we're much more of an animal than we can see, you know. By that I mean a turtle that lives in a certain kind of pond with a certain kind of water is going to be different from the same kind of turtle that lives in another pond with another kind of water and another kind of weed to eat. But that's the way we are. I mean, how do you think it, how do you think it feels to grow up in Secaucus? What kind of a man does this grow? A very tall man with a skinny nose. The creature is adapted. See, he doesn't... His eyes continually water. You know, and he, he's, he's got gills for breathing under the water. You know? I've been through Secaucus. I know it. I love it. I mean, let's face it. Nothing I like better than a dead pig. I... Oh, I'm not being unfair. It's true. I've been there. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> New Jersey, the junkyard state. <laughs> I'd like to see that on the bottom of a license plate, wouldn't you? <laughs> I've, I've been a great petitioner for honest license plates. <laughs> the garden state, oh boy. <laughs> Can't you just see? <laughs> Can't you just see if New York had an honest one? We got one that says the Empire State. Can't you just see New York? It has, a, it has an honest slogan. It says, the Hutzpah State. <laughs> you know, it's in the shape of a credit card. <laughs> oh, well. So, so the people of Australia are affected by where they live. Now, let me explain to you how Australia looks. Where do you think you land when you first come into Australia? You know, we have all these ideas in our mind, and, and have you ever really seriously considered the actuality? Well, the first place you'll land, at least on the trip that I took, which came down by way of Karachi, Pakistan, came through Calcutta, came down through Singapore, and then we finally flew over Indonesia, Boy, that's really getting out there, man. And the pilot says, Seven languages they come on in those airplanes over there. They come on in Somali, they come on in Swahili, Pig Latin, they come on everything. And finally says, uh, attention, air passengers, we are flying off of Fiji Islands. Off to the left, under the left wing, you will see Borneo. We will be in... 
Darwin, Australia, in 45 minutes. Will you please prepare to land? We will be there for 20 minutes. Thank you. Well, there I'm sitting. And underneath me is Borneo. <laughs> what a sense of power. It's dark and mysterious down there. And the plane is flying at 35,000 feet, whistling along through that stratosphere. And then we begin to come down. And you know when those big jet planes start coming down, your ears start popping. And you hear them, they, they start throwing in the brakes and they throw out the flaps. And you hear this, whoo, and she sort of jumps. And you can feel it sort of hovering in the air. And there's nothing but darkness below us. And it's Australia. Pitch, stygian, tar, coal, black. And we're coming down through that darkness. Whee! Whee! And then you see one or two tiny yellow lights just flickering. How exciting. These are the lights of Australia. People are living down there. And you're coming down. And then you feel those landing gears come down. You're like... And you got the seatbelt snapped. You know that moment of... That slight moment of panic when the plane is coming down? Like, this is it. It's been all for nothing. To crash on a lonely, unsung, forgotten landing strip on an alien continent. Ten million miles away from Hessville, Indiana. I'm looking out of the window. And then they turn on the landing lights. And boom, reaching down through the darkness. You see nothing. Just a lot of mist swirling by. Whee! And then suddenly there's that landing strip. And you see green stuff going past. And boom. She goes, oh, 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 oh. Ooh, they reverse the props. And then the voice comes on. They say it on every airline. If you land, uh, believe me, if you're crash landing in Antarctica, <laughs> that voice will come on. Would you please keep your seatbelts fastened until the plane comes to a complete halt? <laughs> Thank you. And we're rolling along, and I'm looking out, and I can't see anything. We're on Australia. It's black out there. Pitch, stygian, darkness. And the plane is swinging around with the lights lit. I said, oh, this I left the limelight for. <laughs> we are in the outback. The plane sort of slows up, and then it... And you see those little trucks come out of the darkness. You know the guys with the baseball hats? And the doors open. And the next thing I know, you know, my knees are crooked. Boy, I've been on a 5,000-mile trip. I get up like this. No matter what they do, I mean, in-flight movies, all of that jazz, they give you the fancy food, nothing, they do nothing for your kneecaps. <laughs> you get up like this, you know, and you're walking. And there's always, have you noticed in these planes, no matter where you go, you're, you're, you're in some place 87 million miles from population, from, from civilization, there's always nine guys who know all about it. They jump up immediately, they got their hats and coats, and once, I'll meet you at Fred's bar, yeah. 
And here you are in the Antarctica. These guys been here, you know. They're very sharp. So I'm waiting, and I start getting off this plane. And then it hits me. You don't think of this in connection with Australia. I am hit with a wave of heat. It just rolls over you. Boom! And it is that kind of heat, you know, that we get maybe once every 10 years. Every, maybe once every 10 years. It's about 100 degrees. It's maybe 4 in the morning. It's about 100 degrees, and it's about 90% humidity. And I'm standing on there, and I walk down this little metal thing, and they're giving you the transit cards. Have you ever taken those intercontinental flights, and they give you a little transit card? You've been eating now for seven. You don't know what day it is, what month it is. You can't tell. Oh, yeah, you lose all sense of time. You've been eating 17 meals. They keep bringing meals to you in the airplane. <laughs> You're drinking martinis at 7 in the morning. And, you know, they keep you sort of, your, your head's buzzing for 150,000 miles. You don't know what, you know, you feel, oh, oh. Every five minutes, somebody gets up and goes into that little room in the front, you know. He comes out and he's white, he staggers back. These are the flights that are billed as luxury, incidentally. Oh, they're decadent and the sky's reeling. He's going back and forth up and down the aisle with this big boar's head, you know. A big apple in the mouth, you know, and they've got this stuff and the grapes and the junk. I'm sitting there, oh, I've eaten my way all the way from Central Europe. It's only been eight and a half thousand miles. I have eaten everything from Indonesian food to rare Swedish hors d'oeuvres. I've drunk 19 kinds of liquor. And now I am in Darwin, Australia. Now let me tell you about Darwin. Darwin has 12,000 people in it, very widely separated. <laughs> it's like if you took, maybe it's like if you took the outskirts of Hackensack and spread them very thinly, you know, with a butter knife all over the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, and they're little low shacks. And, and here are these men waiting to check your, your papers, there's always guys waiting to check your papers. And they've got that look of 4 o'clock in the morning. And they're wearing these white shorts. And you know immediately you're in another world. They wear white shorts. And they've got these white shirts, you know, with the shoulder boards. There's a certain thing that, they, that the European does that we just don't do. He, he wears these little things with the gold. And, you know, there's certain jazzings. And I go past this guy. The next thing, I am in this very, very vestigial lounge. In every airport lounge all over the world, they sell souvenirs. They're the same souvenirs. They all come from Brooklyn. They're called intercontinental souvenirs. And immediately everybody goes and buys them. You see, the same things. And there is a guy standing over by the Coke machine, and he's wearing one of these hats. And I know, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm in the outback. Isn't that a hat? Well, it's four o'clock in the morning. And of course, I've got a beard. And automatically, four o'clock in the morning, a beard in Darwin, Australia, gave me the outward appearance 
of being a returned native. <laughs> Which, by the way, I love. You know, one thing Americans like to do is to go native wherever the devil they go. You know, they always, they always, you, you, no matter where you go, you find the native pretending he is a genuine Siamese. Oh yeah, they all learn the folk music immediately, and they start eating the food, and they get the, they get the native tapeworm. <laughs> oh yeah, you see them with the rickets and everything else walking on the street. That's the, that's the American who went native. You know, a friend of mine came back with a 38-foot tapeworm that he kept inside of him in his lower intestine for over a year and a half from a visit that he played one time in India. And he now has it in the bottle. Not India, the tapeworms. Uh, and he's very proud of it. This is his best souvenir. He's just a real Indian tapeworm, you know. He should never kill him, you know. Not the Indian tapeworm. That one doesn't die. You just take one little piece like that and you got it in you forever. Because I'm growing my own little garden now, as a matter of fact. Well, <laughs> so I took one look at this hat, see, and I, I saw this guy there, and it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm, you know, feeling kind of sick. I've been drinking the German brandy and eating the Swedish hors d'oeuvres and watching that chick go up and down the aisle. You know, there's, there's something... Oh, stop it, will you? You've done it once. There's something maddening about the sight of a stewardess looking like a stewardess over 12,000 miles, and you're getting sicker every minute. That cool chick look. And I saw that hat, see? I said, I've got to have one of those hats. Just got to have one of them hats. Somehow I can picture myself at Jones Beach, you know? Yeah. You know, you just walk in there in the hamburger stand, you know? Hey, two dogs. And somehow everyone will think, you know, I've been through hell. Somewhere, someplace, I've seen it, man, all the way. Well, Darwin is a tropical outpost. And we spend, maybe, maybe we spend about 15, 20 minutes there on, on what really amounts to nothing more nor less than an extended fighter strip. And in the darkness, there were a couple of fighter planes. You could see them there. It's, a, it's an, air uh, an air base for the Australian Air Force. That's all. They sell stamps. <laughs> you know, it's the native economy there. <laughs> they do, you know. And a plane comes in once every seven months and people buy stamps. <laughs> and then they stand around and wait in the heat there, it seems. They talk. And then we took off again. And we're heading out over Australia. Now, to begin with, I must explain to you, Australia is the size of the United States. It's roughly, we're going to Sydney, it's roughly like taking off in San Francisco and you're heading for Portland, Maine. That's the way it is. But what is in between? Indianapolis? No. The Howard Johnsons? No. What is in between Darwin and Sydney? Oh, boy. You have no idea. Between Darwin and Sydney is hell's own acres. It is a desert man that does not stop. I mean, this is the desert they created when they want to prove how rotten deserts can be. I mean, it's like the ultimate desert. It makes the Sahara seriously look like Westport. 
I'm not kidding. I've been over the Sahara. The Sahara looks magnificent when you're flying over the Sahara. I've been in, I've been over Death Valley now. This is a desert that is really a desert. It is deserted. There's nothing. And in fact, they say that there are certain places in this desert where in all of recorded time, there has never been one, and I'm, I'm not kidding, one drop of rain. It has never rained as long as man... And by the way, there are vast areas of this desert where nobody has ever walked. There's never been a man. And you're flying out over this thing, see? And you look down there, 35,000 feet, and the dawn is beginning to break, you see? And you can see it. I'll tell you what it looks like. It's, look, it, it's like you're flying over some vast wall-to-wall carpet that is kind of cocoa-colored. And it's like somebody has spilled coffee here and there. That's all. And once in a while, you see a little plume of smoke where there's a fire that's broken out just because of rottenness. <laughs> you know, it's like the earth is just being rotten. That's all. It's burning. It's doing it down there. And you're flying down. You're looking... Oh, boy, you know, you have a feeling this is the moon. It's, it's, it's not the earth. It's not something that you can't make any contact with. We're flying on and on and on and on and on. The plane is going like forever. And then, suddenly, Sydney. Well, I can only say that Sydney is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Sydney looks like... San Francisco Square. Really, it's a magnificent city with that, that unbelievable harbor. This great, these beaches, fantastic combers coming in and these hills. And there it is, sitting right there. And the old plane is coming in and the sun is shining down. And I say, oh boy, this is what I came for. And she's coming down closer and closer and into that airport and we stop. And I'm out on the runway. Sid Mastray. Well, I want to ask you, what does it do to people who are living 47 million miles from the mainstream of civilization of the Western world next to a desert? You know, just about 100 miles outside of Sydney, they got, they got kangaroos, believe me, that are 19 feet tall. Yeah, there was a lady says to me, oh, yeah, she says, yeah, I, I, I used to feed the kangaroos every morning. She says, they, come to the, they come to the door, I feed them. And I say, well, how big are they? Oh, the big, big, like that, the big one. They reach out and grab me, almost grill me one day. I said, gee, <laughs> she, yeah, very affectionate. <laughs> Somehow, I, you know, they have mixed marriages there, too. <laughs> and uh, all those kangaroos are very aggressive. <laughs> Oh, the men hate them there. They go out and shoot them and yell at them. Oh, it's all jealousy. You know that whole bit, you know. It goes all the way back, deep inside. And, uh, and so here these guys are living 100 miles from this, this desert, these kangaroos. And right on the other side is the ocean. Now, do you, what kind of an ocean do they have there? Is it like Jones Beach? Oh, no. <laughs> Listen. They got sharks in that ocean. In fact, the sharks, you can see them out there. They are shoulder to shoulder. 
It's like 6th Avenue in the subway at rush hour. The sharks out there with their eyes happily looking in there, you know. They're just looking in at Sydney. <laughs> and you can see their fins, and they, they're jostling and hitting each other, waiting. See, they're waiting for the surfboarders to come out. <laughs> they're watching. Them. And, you know, and, and they keep saying, well, the sharks are not so bad this year. <laughs> they mean that you don't hear them yelling. That's all. I'm serious. You hear the sharks hollering back and forth once in a while. How you doing over there, Charlie? Oh, there's nothing. There ain't been seven of them out there and a half. Wow! You hear the water go. Well, here these guys are living in between this. On the one hand, the sharks and the ocean. On the other hand, the desert. What kind of a guide is this breed? Well, I'll tell you. You never saw anything tougher than an Australian. You know that I got a guidebook, one of these very polite guidebooks, you know, and, and every guidebook you ever, ever get, if you ever get a guidebook, they always say the natives are nice. If you understand the native customs, like a human sacrifice. You, know. if you understand what it's all about, it's not so bad, you know. It's all over very fast. <laughs> They do it real quick, you know, with the boiling water and all. Yeah, that's the truth. Well, this guidebook said one fascinating thing. They said there are three stages through which you go with an Australian. The first stage is you're impressed by his unbelievable friendliness. And that is the truth. An Australian is, is he's like a true noble savage in the Rousseauian sense, you know? He's just waiting. He says, hiya, partner. It's just like Indiana Cube, you know. Hiya, buddy. Hiya, partner. Oh, boy. You know, everybody talks to everybody else. The second stage, they said, is if you have made one false move. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. And if you're interested, this is a, this is a book put out by Life magazine. It's a, it's a beautifully written piece and very true. They say the second stage is when you have made the slightest slur on Australian womanhood, the flag, the sky, the weather, you just look too long at a guy at a bar, or maybe you just walk funny. It's just the second stage is the one you better get over very quick. <laughs> just because the Australian hits very hard, very directly, and completely. And the third, they said the third stage is when they don't even notice you. Then you're one of the people. Then you can hit guys. See, then you can stand around and hit. And that's the way Australia is. It's like the last of the frontiers. And let me tell you, you really understand. Somebody here about 10 minutes ago said, talk about the role reversal in America. You don't understand the role reversal. You know, the reversal of the roles of the sexes, where women are obviously becoming more masculine in America, and the men are going the other direction? Oh, yes, it's quite obvious. You don't really recognize this until you get to Australia. By the way, speaking of uh, fluffy sweaters, this is WOR AM and FM New York. Very tough, hard-hitting station. <laughs> well... The Australian men, you never saw anything like them. 
These guys all look like they're roughly nine feet tall. They are, and even when they're six feet tall, they look nine feet. When they're five feet tall, they look seven feet. There's a, there's a, there's a kind of genuine beingness about it. And let me tell you, men, have you ever dreamed about the ultimate woman? Each man has in his, his little mind's eye that thing called the girl. You know what I mean by the girl? Now, now I'm not talking about your dream girl, but the ultimate woman. Well, they still exist in Australia. Women are really women. Men are really men. And there's a sense in the middle of the in the middle of the afternoon when you walk down the street, a kind of dialogue that goes on. You go into a coffee shop, and there's a bunch of men sitting there. I mean, they're really drinking coffee, you know. They're not reading poetry, standing up there playing guitars, you know, talking about their soul. They're sitting down there and they're glopping down coffee, you know. Sitting, sitting there. They look around, you know, and there are women sitting there drinking coffee at uh, being women. It's a very exciting feeling. Well, after about two or three days in this atmosphere, it became suddenly, without any warning, Sunday. Now, now, you have to explain something to you about Sunday in Australia. If you can imagine an entire continent being turned off, like they just, you know, print the switch, so it all stops. It's dead. It just stops like your old TV set's done, you know. And I wake up and I look out on a hotel room, and it's like for miles around, there's just toy buildings, nothing. The whole city is stopped. And then I hear in the distance, now listen to this, this is a... One of the most eerie experiences I've ever had. I'm standing up on the fifth floor of this hotel. I hear in the distance the sound of bagpipes. Bagpipes skirling. And I hear these drums. And they're the kind of drums that are not being beaten in Sunday afternoon friendly fashion. They're genuine martial drums. You know the kind that goes boom. Broom, 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 and are coming closer and closer and closer. And then I see millions of people have gathered. It is Anzac Day. You know what Anzac Day is? Well, it's it's hard to explain. It's like it's like it's like being in Oz and seeing a great national holiday celebrated with the wizard himself, you know, up there in the front with the baton going. How can you explain that back to the people in Cleveland? I can't tell you exactly what it was about, except that it was the one time that I have been in an English-speaking country and I felt completely and utterly and totally foreign. Now, let me tell you what this was. Now, just give me a second, because you'll never hear about this. I never read a word of it in, in America. Anzac Day is the biggest holiday in Australia. The biggest. It's like if you took the 4th of July, Thanksgiving Day, if you took Christmas, 
if you took every holiday we've got, piled them all on top of each other, and then multiplied them by ten. Anzac Day is the celebration of the, of the great battle at Gallipoli. When, oh no, it's very important to Australia. She laughs, but she doesn't know why. Because it seems silly that they celebrate it. But it was at that moment that Australia became a country. And not just an island. They became a country, and thousands of Australians died in a strange battle at Gallipoli. But here's what they do on Anzac Day. Thousands and thousands of people march in silence, but really march. You know, what? when we're used to parades in America, everybody sort of walks around, you know. They walk along, they got a big sign that says, Shame! <laughs> you know, you know, they got one, How Long? That's the matter. By the way, did you go through Times Square today? It was fascinating to see 17 different demonstrations going on simultaneously and most of the demonstrations canceling each other out and nobody paying any attention to any of them. It's getting to the point now where demonstrations are just like taxi cabs and that, you know. Just one of those things you have to walk around in New York City and there's a guy in it. <laughs> guys handing out leaflets and yelling and beards and all that, you know. They're just general, it's free-form anger, you know. Whatever America does is rotten. Oh, wow. It's just terrible, terrible. It's all us, you know. We've done it all. Well, it's a curious thing to go to a country where that does not, does not hold true. As an American, it's like watching something you can't believe. The Australians love Australia. And to the Australians, this parade is a very serious and, in fact, almost a religious occasion. And so you see these units. And, you know, it's, it's really a, a very peculiar sense of time, too. Each unit in all the armies going back 50 years march. All the old soldiers come from everywhere, and they march in their unit. And some units have only one man marching. Maybe just one guy is carrying the flag of a unit where nobody is left alive. And they have a big sign. It just says, 317th Artillery Anzac Brigade. And there's nobody alive. And the people applaud. And then the next unit comes along, and you see this big banner, and it says... 6th Infantry Brigade. And underneath this, the banner, it tells where they fought. Manila, Puna, Coral Sea. And there's three guys left. One ex-corporal, one sergeant and a lieutenant. And they march. And overhead, and this was the peculiar moment where uh, I was with an American. We couldn't believe it. You know, we're just watching this. And all these people are marching past. And they're laying a wreath at the base of a big monument they have to all the soldiers, right in the heart of, of uh, Australia, all the soldiers that died and all the ones that fought. And along came, the last one in the parade was the most spectacular, the most spectacular unit. It was a group of Spitfire pilots. And they had a big, big eagle up in the front, you know, that RAF eagle. And underneath it, it said, Spitfire Squadron 614. 
And this squadron fought at the Battle of Britain and had one of the highest percentage of casualties. And it's, it's interesting to see old fighter pilots 25 years later walking along under the sun. Just a strange, eerie sight of fighter pilots, remember. And there they're marching along. And in back of them is a fife and drum corps. They're just marching. And overhead, suddenly, you could hear this, this wild sound. And I'm, I'm just standing there. I got my tape recorder going. I can't believe it. I hear the sound of bow, wow, wow, a very familiar sound to me. Sounded like no aircraft nowhere else in the world. It was the last Lancaster bomber in the world that was still flying. Flew over just as these guys are laying these reeds at this the foot of this monument it was Sunday afternoon in Sydney, Australia. And little old ladies lining the streets were crying. And little old men stood there who 50 years before had fought at Gallipoli. They just stood in the sun. And on the radio, I turned on the radio and I could hear this commentator giving the history of each battalion as it went past. He said, this is the uh, seventh armored corps that fought at El Alamein. Their casualties were 7,500 over the period of 18 months. Their commanding officer, you'd hear them go past. Now I ask you as an American, what could have been a more strangely foreign celebration than to see this? It's weird. We just happened to fall into it. And the guy who was with me, he was a photographer, we're both looking down, and, and both of us, at the outset, you know, we thought it was funny. We thought, oh, you know, it's a parade, because we keep thinking of the American Legion. You know, our, our attitude, no, I'm serious, our attitude towards that kind of thing is totally different. You know, they run around with little sticks and stick each other, and they, they throw water bottles out of windows and yell and holler. This is a solemn occasion. And so 10 minutes after watching it, we couldn't do anything except just sit and watch. The next day, you want to hear more about Australia? Well, uh, 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 you want to hear more about it? She doesn't. What do you want to hear about, honey? No, I'm going to ask, what do you want to hear about? No, no, wait, shut up. What do you want to hear about? Oh, something important, I see. The birthday store. Oh. Oh, 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 she's a soupy sales fan. Oh, oh, well, see, you all wanted to hear about my trip, and I told you, what, I told you it would bore you. Well, no, honey, it's too late. So, so I did finish the story about the phone call. You were in the John. You got to get the apples out of your ears, baby. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm being very polite here. Well, <laughs> you know, are you are you curious what kind of food they eat in Australia? Leather steaks. Yeah, <laughs> they eat leather steaks. They eat pork and beans. They eat uh, what what. I'll tell you what, it reminded me of Indiana food when I was a kid at the Bluebird Tavern. 
And that is in the best restaurants. It is very, very basic. And, and it is the wildest gambling nation you ever saw in your life. And, and by the way, you know what was playing on TV there that night? On the beach. Yes. I'll tell you, everything, everyone says, no, it was. On the beach was playing there that night. Now, what is on the beach? On the beach is a story about the end of the world that comes as the result of an atomic war, and it takes place in Australia. And the Australians keep running that movie. <laughs> it runs every night in Australia. Because <laughs> somehow they want to think they're going to be the last one left, you know? They really do. It's very comforting, you know? And, and they're sitting here, and, and, and an Australian said to me, I asked him about that. I said, you know, the, the quality of a kind of the hell with it all. Yeah, that, that quality comes through about Australian life in on the beach. And I said, well, is this so? And he says, that is the way Australians believe. He says, you know, he says, I've lived in Australia now for over 40 years. And he says, Australians are on one long party. He said, there's something about it's in the air, I guess. He says, every time I go to New York, and I, I, I'm constantly amazed at how serious everybody is. Everybody's so serious. He says, everybody really is doing something. But in Australia, it's a party. And that afternoon, the next afternoon, now, you don't, you don't imagine this is Australian life, do you? Listen carefully. I get invited to an Australian home. Now, how do you think an Australian home looks? Well, to begin with, they don't have any base. They don't have any heating units because it's like California there. They never have a winter there, you know. Their, their lowest temperature is maybe 50 degrees. That's their toughest winter. And I was there in the middle. Yeah, I was there in the middle of their, of their fall. Uh, this is, it's coming into winter now, and their winter will be in July and August. Temperature gets down to 50 degrees. It's tough. And I'm sitting in the backyard of this beautiful California-type home. It's all glass. And it's all tile. And outside of the home are these palm trees. And over the palm trees are two gigantic flame trees. Have you ever seen a flame tree? These are high trees with spectacular red blossoms. And in the trees are these birds. And I'm sitting there in a deck chair. This is old Shep, you know, from the village. Looking around, I'm in Australia, you know. I don't know exactly how to play it. You don't know what to say because because you don't know whether to say, uh, you know, uh, what. In fact, as an American traveling today in 1965, you don't quite know what to say. It's curious. In fact, I had a big battle. I said to one Australian, I said, I'm going to tell you something really, I'm going to be really controversial here. And he said, what? I like America. He said, what a rotten thing to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a curious thing. You know, we're the only people on the face of the earth who are expected not to like our country wherever we go. And yet all the other people you meet can be insanely chauvinistic about their country. Every Englishman will tell you that there's nothing like England. The world started in England. The sun comes up out of England's you-know-what. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Every Frenchman you meet says the same thing, only in that case the sun comes up out of France, as you know.
Every Australian says, hey, ever see a better country than this. But if you say, gee, you know, <laughs> I kind of like America. The guy says, that's what I said. You're American so chauvinistic all the time. All you're doing is bragging about America everywhere you go. <laughs> well, I'm sitting in the backyard of this Australian home, and the sun is hanging up over, overhead. The temperature's about 75 degrees. There's the swimming pool. They've got a magnificent emerald green swimming pool. And in the tree are these tropical birds. You know, uh, Australia has, has uh, animal life like you never saw in your life. You, never, you couldn't believe it. Big birds with yellow beaks. And they're always going, go, 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 go. You know, you, you want to answer them, you know. It's like they're saying something, you know, all the time. The birds, oh, they, they're very aggressive birds there. They spit, they've got, they've got, listen. They've got starlings there, believe me. Let me tell you, when you get hit by a starling there, I saw guys get knocked flat, you know, boom. Yeah, <laughs> Believe me, you, they got starlings, they got everything going there, so... <laughs> oh, I tried to date a koala bear for 20 minutes. They're cute, you know. Reminded me of a chick I knew in Indianapolis, but... I, <laughs> the way it mewed, you know. <laughs> well, I'm sitting there in this beautiful chair. There's the swimming pool. And they've got this redwood picnic table. And they're serving steaks at least four inches thick. They've got seven bottles of wine out there. And the girls are wearing bikini bathing suits. And the men are bronzed. They have not worked for six weeks, you know. They go in every 20 minutes or so, and they fool with a paper clip in the office there. Everything's a game. Have you ever had the feeling when you go to another country that they're not really working? They're all... <laughs> You go to, you know, you, seriously, she knows what I mean. You go to, you go to a place like Ireland and they're just going around being cute, you know. They, with their little bikes, you know, they're not doing anything. Nobody works. Well, here these guys are, bronzed, eating the steaks, and sitting out in the, sitting out in the driveway was a Maserati convertible. You know what a Maserati convertible is? Well, it cost like, $15,000 here in America, in Australia. Multiply it by 10. There it is, see? They've carried it all the way, you know, piece by piece, put it together. And, and I'm sitting there, and I can't believe it. This is Australia, you know? Somehow you have an idea that Australia is rugged. And I am beginning to feel like I am a primitive. Yeah, you know, and, and these men have got long hair and the sun is shining, and the man is sitting opposite me, and they're bringing the steaks out, the maid, by the way, and he says, you know, he says, it's one trouble with you Americans. You just got too easy a life. <laughs> he believes it, you know, he believes it. You know, I guess he figures that in America we're two Maserati families or something. <laughs> So I thought, well, gee, you know, this is, this is a peculiar scene, you know. And so we're sitting there and eating the dinner. You want to hear one other facet of, of Australian life. This is really a weird thing. 
you really realize that there's another world and there's another way to live. And you keep getting the impression that you understand it. I'm eating the salad. I eat the steak. It tastes like a regular steak. I drink the wine. It tastes like wine. They bring out the dessert. I eat the dessert. And now the time has come for casual after-dinner conversation. You know, we're sitting there. And these beautiful women are there. They're talking. They're the wives and the girlfriends. I'm there all by myself. I'm talking to these chicks. And all of a sudden, I get the eerie impression that the party has left. And there's only me left there with the women. All of the men have gone. Absolutely every last man has disappeared. And it's just me and 19 chicks. And, and I said, it suddenly hit me, see? And I, and I said, gee, <laughs> where are all the men? And this woman next to me, suddenly, it was a transition like I'd never seen in a woman. She says, all the damn fools have gone into the next room to talk. She said, this is an Australian custom. They don't talk to the women, you know. You can tell you're a foreigner. You're here talking to the women. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> How are you, baby? <laughs> and, and she says, yeah. She says, the Australian men never talk to the women, you know. And all the women at once just went like that. Boom. And you can see that every last Australian woman wants to kill every Australian man in the dark with a dull stiletto. <laughs> so the role reversal is slowly sneaking in over there. See? And I, I want to know what's going on in the next room. What the heck are they doing out there? See, So here I am with all these women and they're all saying, gee, you, don't, you just don't know how it feels. We love Americans here. This is, these are the women, see. We love Americans here. You certainly treat women like human beings. And I'm thinking of the, I'm thinking of the village, you know. I'm thinking of Playboy. You know, just, you treat women like human beings. And so I said, yes, that's true. I'm an American. And all these women are gathering around me. They're coming closer and closer and closer. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm beginning to sweat. And the kookaburra birds are going, go, 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 And the koala bears are squirting up there in the trees. And I say, excuse me a minute, girls. And I go in the next room, and here are the men. And the men are telling dirty stories. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. When our late president,